Right speech is probably the area that is most productive and most difficult in the path. It's the kind of thing that is used continuously in ordinary life through the day. Maybe for monks and nuns, there's less demand for right speech because there's less demand for speech in general. So the lay community has to use this very skillfully. It is based in right intention. So you can never actually modulate your speech by preparing it ahead of time, giving yourself a vocabulary and rehearsing the right kind of sentences. It's not possible. You have to respond spontaneously to all kinds of situations. So how do you do this? You do this by a sincere effort at the cultivation of right intention. So it means that the heart, the emotional center, is oriented to non-ill will, non-cruelty, and renunciation. So that your speech is then spontaneously cleansed of any tendency to hostility, to unnecessary demeaning or criticism of others. There is the heart, because the heart is, is purified. It doesn't focus unwisely on the faults of things. Now that's the source of hostility and anger, negative emotions, and negative emotions are the source of wrong speech as well. Renunciation, which is found under right intention, is just a form of non-manipulation. So when you talk, now I've talked to people who gone into sales, you know, they're insurance salespeople or car salespeople or realtors. And it becomes so part of your personality that you almost begin to see everybody as a potential uh, customer. And you can become manipulative. You're trying to get something out of everybody. And People in those professions are not necessarily bad people at all. They just become habituated. And you find yourself unconsciously trying to motivate people to buy things. <laughs> so to feel that whoever you're talking to is not a customer. And by the way, if you are a realtor or a salesperson of any kind, that's a perfectly honorable profession. And you might actually become a more successful salesperson when you're not trying to sell anything, when you're just have goodwill for people and uh, are explaining your product. So it's not that with the sense of renunciation or non-greed that you're going to suddenly fail in the world. You won't. The Buddha is actually interested in lay people leading a successful life with uh, plenty of resources and money and all of these things. And they have to engage in all kinds of professions and crafts and skills. So they need to be able to perform these things, and there's nothing ethically wrong with any of these things. But in all cases, you cannot let wrong intention run away with your speech. And to go back one more step, of course, right intention, as we talked about in the previous talk, is based in right view. So if you're having trouble with your speech, you would like to improve it, Go back to right view, examine it. When you find yourself standing 
with other helpless and vulnerable beings. In fact, every being on the planet is helpless and vulnerable, and you're one of them. It will awaken some sympathy and empathy, and that will shape the emotion structure of the heart, and that is right intention, and that is where right speech flows from. It's quite easy to keep track of right speech. There's four basic units of it. One is not to lie. The next is no harsh speech, and then no divisive speech, and finally no frivolous speech. So lying is, uh, it's hard to always be truthful. You know, there's pressure, social pressures, to advertise yourself, to present yourself as perhaps concealing some aspect of yourself. By the way, I should say that this does not mean that you blurt everything out, that you're one of those people who blurt the truth out all the time. The Buddha defines this right speech as, is it true and beneficial? So the factor of benefit has to be in right speech. It's not good enough simply to be true. There's a lot of times when one should not speak the truth, and there are no times when one should lie. But there's a lot of times when the truth is not beneficial and should be not spoken. And it doesn't mean that everything you say has to be pleasant. It's possible that it can be true, beneficial, and unpleasant. Abbots in monasteries have to deal with monks in training and lay people. And sometimes they have to say things that are frank and true and beneficial, but not pleasant to hear. So sometimes people are monks and nuns and lay people are sometimes uh, offended or hurt by some of the things that are said. And it's still appropriate that those things were said because they're true and beneficial if you don't hear what needs to be heard, then you're likely to go on making a lot of mistakes. So you have to reflect on this and balance that. Harsh speech is just the abstaining from using strong language, harsh cursing people out, uh, this kind of thing. Unnecessary harsh speech. And Sometimes speech has to be uh, strong, and you might even have to shout sometimes. Somebody might be across the room. (laughs) These things have to be balanced in knowing your heart, so you have to know the intention behind these things. So the third category is divisive speech, and this this is a difficult area. Speech which divides people. So you talk about somebody else's faults with somebody, or you talk about what they did that sabotaged something in your life, etc. You try to create division, separating people rather than reconciling people. It's not your job in the world to make everybody uh, reconcile to each other. It's quite outside the possibility of doing for most people, you know. Monks sometimes become marriage counselors or giving advice about difficult relationships. 
And sometimes you're giving it to both the husband and the wife, you know. So the wife is coming and complaining about the husband, the husband's coming and complaining about the wife, and they want to separate and this and that. And you have to somehow be uh, kind and conciliatory to both parties. And you can't tell one party, oh, that they said this about you, and then the other one, they said this about you. This, that's divisive speech. That's wrong. By the way, uh, a very interesting, very strong, severe penalty for monks is to actually act as a go-between between a man and a woman. In other words, to be an arranger of relationships. And the reason why is the Buddha said, monks, if you do this, and then they have a falling out later, they'll blame you <laughs> for getting them together to begin with. They'll just don't do it, monks. So right off the bat, we're strongly forbidden from initiating relationships. And that's why you see monks don't perform marriages either. We don't perform marriages. But if you're married or in a relationship, we can act as a counselor to help you get through difficult periods. Divisive speech is a very, very important. And sometimes you may have picked it up from the way you were raised, your family structure or people that you hung around with. And it seems to be in human character to uh, want to sow discord. It has a very powerful and negative karma associated with divisive speech. It will bounce back on you and you will end up being mistrusted. And uh, it's a disfiguring kind of karma. Quite often these things are represented as beautiful and disfiguring. So truth the right speech around truth is considered to be a source of beauty in its results. And lying is a source of ugliness. The last category is frivolous speech. And this is an area where most people stray over the edge, even in monasteries, even amongst monks. Frivolous is not so easy to define. Bhikkhu Bodhi translated as pointless the actual word in Pali is sampapalapa, <laughs> which is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's very close. It has an onomatopoeic ring to it, sampapalapa. And maybe uh, you can just recall that term, sampapalapa, in your mind when you're speaking and ask yourself if you're doing sampapalapa rather than something relevant that has a point to it. <laughs> Endlessly talking about the soap operas from last week, you know, is uh, just a diffusion of energy. It's confusing. It's a diversion. It's a waste of life. Many people do not understand that. They dwell in frivolous speech. It's a nervous habit. It's just a way of making sounds. It's not that you shouldn't say, how's the weather today, or how are you today? Uh, these things are asked even by the Buddha. When a monk arrives from a journey, they ask, so how are you? Are you well? I, you know, can I get you something? And Was the journey satisfactory? And uh, did you get caught in the rain? Things like this are fairly conventional speech, and even the Buddha used this. 
So this puts people at ease and it has a practical function. So it's not that you can't utter anything but profound truths. But one of the characteristics that I find is that frivolous speech, if I'm on the receiving end of frivolous speech, what I feel is that it's tiring. I feel tired after the conversation. If I have to be in the midst of frivolous speech, I feel de-energized. Whereas if I'm in the midst of mm, true speech, skillful speech, the after effects, the afterglow of a good conversation is energy and inspiration. So one can ask if one's speech gets to the point, is relevant, is valid, and or is it merely filling the air with sound, kind of like a dog barking. You know, a dog barking is tiring after a while. <laughs> and a person yakking, just letting their consciousness stream out, is also very tiring after a while, unskillful. One of the things I would like, especially in this day and age, about truth, true speech, and lies, as you're probably aware, that there's a, a strong something in the air lately about lying and the political system. And uh, this is very, very important that people don't realize how grave a problem that is. Lots of people are not that they're indifferent to the idea of lying and uh, the Buddha is warning again and again it's a severe negative resultant from that both to the person who does it and uh, if it catches on socially uh, the entire society can crumble through lies if they don't have a high regard for truth the entire society can go sideways, can tip over. So truth is mandatory. What happens, I got very interested in what happens to pathological liars. And one of the things I saw was some cases of amnesia where people had spontaneous amnesia. They didn't fall and hit their head or anything. They just couldn't remember who they were, they end up in a clinic. And it seemed that one of the characteristics where they were systematic deceivers, liars, and what happens when you tell a lie, and especially if you, in order to tell a good lie, you kind of have to believe it, is that you can't remember the truth after a while. And you can't remember who you are after a while because you've misrepresented yourself so many times, down that circuit that's supposed to be clear about who you are. And so that circuit is now damaged, and eventually it can't find its own identity anymore. It can't find out who it is. This can happen also to children in a family that are told lies about themselves. They're told lies about the family and they're told lies about themselves. And so they have no idea who they are. And sometimes they're 
for instance, it can be in the direction of overinflation. So the child has a highly exalted sense of self-esteem. The parents praise them and tell them that they're perfect and everything and all this kind of stuff, and it's not true. And then they are bewildered when it turns out, when they go into the world, that none of those things are accurate, and yet they've been told again and again that they are. It can happen in the other way, of course, as well, that parents tell negative lies about their children, and the children uh, believe it, and they have low self-esteem. And by the way, I advocate that you get rid of both low self-esteem and high self-esteem. You get rid of esteem altogether and just switch to metta. <laughs> Loving kindness without conditions is the best cure for all of these things. So there are grave, weighty implications in lies. It is not simply a harmless thing, and it shouldn't be used as a protective strategy. We want to be confident enough in ourselves to have to acknowledge that we're not perfect and uh, we can't defend ourselves all the time this way. It just is too much of a burden and that it damages your capacity to evaluate yourself. Though we should accept ourselves completely and absolutely with loving kindness, loving kindness also tells us we would be happier if we improved certain aspects of ourselves. It's not that we have ill will towards ourselves. There's lots of development projects for ourselves that should be done that would make us better and happier, but always in the context of unconditional goodwill. So this is the complexity the braided, sophisticated activity of heart and speech. They are entwined with right view and right intention. And all of the words that follow come from those two sources. So this is something exquisite and interesting to practice and to reflect on. And it's just a skill, and you need to practice it again and again. And whenever you slip, it's always because the heart wasn't in the right place. When the heart's in the right place, the right stuff comes out of your mouth. And it really doesn't come from any other location. When the heart's in the wrong place, wrong intention, you will see that the words follow. So that's, in brief, a right speech, because this could be talked about almost indefinitely and, uh, and is often a source of interest. And lots of people, when I interview people and so forth, they want to know more about how to have right speech. They sometimes also want to know about how to make others have right speech, and I'm sorry, that's impossible. <laughs> you, you have to just work on your own right speech and the rest of the world is out of your control as far as that goes. However, if you do have right speech, it can be impressive and influential to others. It's really, if somebody in a room uh, reveals their faults, you will find that a lot of people in the room relax and that they admire that, that somebody can show that they have, that they can be vulnerable to show their faults and easily without all that much encouragement. And that lets everybody drop their defenses because if, if everybody's trying to pretend they don't have faults, then everybody knows they do. And 
you end up being in a very defensive mode and quite likely to conceal and misrepresent. The Buddha says the noble person reveals their faults easily and without great encouragement. And the lesser person does not reveal their faults. And only with a lot of questioning and probing will they, and then only reluctantly. And in the opposite, with the good person, they will reveal their faults easily without any problem. And it's hard to get self-praise out of them. And when you probe and try to discover their good points, they they will reveal it only reluctantly. (laughs) This is the nature. It's upside down from quite often what we think. Quite often people think that they must put out their best points and without any kind of encouragement, always be promoting and advertising themselves. But that's not the way highly developed people are. They're actually very happy to put out their, show their faults and reluctant to show their good qualities. So I will leave that for your reflection.